0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, May 11th. I'm Robert Bluey.
1: And I'm Virginia Allen. On today's show, we talk with worship leader, missionary, and political activist Sean Foyt about his new organization, Hold the Line. The mission of Hold the Line is to engage and educate both the church and young people on policy issues, encouraging them to vote their values and become politically active in their communities.
0: We also share your letters to the editor and a good news story about a group of college students who have created a link between farmers and food banks so that crops are not wasted and people don't go hungry during the coronavirus pandemic.
1: Before we get to today's show, we want to give you all an update on the Heritage Foundation's National Coronavirus Recovery Commission. Last week, the commission released 179 recommendations for Reopening America. Rob, can you give us just a little bit of an update about these new recommendations?
0: Thanks, Virginia. I wish we had time to go through all 179. (laughs) But to give some of the highlights, uh, first of all, these recommendations are meant for state governments, local governments, the federal government, and the private sector. And we begin with state and local governments because we believe that that's where the best decisions are going to be made when it comes to reopening our country. I think one of the biggest recommendations is reopening our medical offices both doctor's offices and dental offices, because Americans' health, the preventative steps that they can take to make sure that they are healthy are really important. And so that's one of the things that we're recommending on the state and local level. We're also recommending that the federal government take a look at all of those regulations that they can clear off the books to help our economy bounce back quickly so that business owners aren't struggling with red tape and all those other onerous regulations that they sometimes encounter. So I would encourage our listeners to go to coronaviruscommission.com where they can read more about the recommendations. And they can also leave us their ideas for how to reopen America.
1: That's great. Thanks so much for sharing that, Rob. Again, we invite our listeners to visit uh, coronaviruscommission.com. You can read all 179 of those recommendations. And we'll also be sure to put that link in today's show notes.
0: Now stay tuned for today's show, coming up next.
1: I am joined by Sean Foyt, a missionary, worship leader, speaker, author, and political activist. Sean, thanks so much for being here.
2: Of course. Glad to be here with you guys.
1: Sean, you've been a missionary and worship leader for a long time, but in the past several years, you've really jumped into the political realm and have really become a powerful voice for political activism within the church. When did you really begin to think about policy issues and when was that something that you decided, okay, this is a sphere that I want to be engaged in?
2: Well, I think a lot of this... um... You know, uh, a lot of it is really our call as believers, and I think that for for a long time we've, you know, many many of us, especially in the church, we've kind of viewed uh, the dualism of the sacred and the secular, and viewed those as different things. And I think, you know, we haven't really realized that the the call of the Great Commission is actually to go into is to go into Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You could contextualize that today to mean every sphere of society. And so I've always loved and been drawn to the political world ever since I was a kid. I loved, you know, the uh, I watched every single, um, you know, first speech of of a president, you know, the State of the Union every year. Um, And I was always engaged and always enthralled by these people that are able to create laws, and uh, legislation that affects the world and then i think the older that i got i started to realize how little salt and light or how, how few believers were engaged in that realm of society and really how a lot of people felt like that that was kind of a dark world or a dirty world or a, you know a, a place that christians shouldn't belong or shouldn't engage but yet the more that we see scripture in the New Testament, we're actually called to places like that. So I've had ministries over the years where we've rushed into war zones and red light districts and we've done some really crazy stuff around the world. And for me, the political world just represented another facet of that, you know, the calling to go and change culture and bring the kingdom of God into those spheres of society and um, watching my kids grow up. Uh, I have four of them now and realizing that, you know, they are basically going to inherit, you know, the the world and the political landscape in America that we pass off to them and being really concerned about how that looks. That was kind of the final line that pushed me to engage more.
1: Well, and Sean, I want to ask you more about that, because we do so often, I think, hear this argument that government is, you know, it's not really a place for Christians and that we should use our, our talents and our time elsewhere. But when you hear that argument, what is your response to that?
2: Well, I, I don't think that that's, I, I just don't think it's theologically accurate. Um, I I don't see that that, you know, you don't see that modeled in the life of Jesus, where he was very active in. Talking to rebuking, engaging with political leaders, um, and you also don't see that modeled, you know, historically throughout the Bible. You know, I mean, you look at, I mean, a glaring example. You know, all of these leaders, essentially, you know, Abraham and Moses, and you know, I mean, look at look at David. You know, he was a he was a worshiper, he was a songwriter, he was a psalmist, uh, but he was also a king. You know, and he ended up. You know, leading an entire nation um, into the promises of God at, in that position. So, I think that you know, it's it's a little bit there's a there's a disconnect I feel like with most believers if they don't feel that Christians should be engaged because that's not what we see throughout the Bible and that's not what we see throughout history.
1: You just announced a nonprofit that you're starting called Hold the Line. Can you just tell us a little bit about it?
2: Yeah. So. Um, Coming on the heels of, uh, you know, my recent um, uh, run for U.S. Congress and coming out of that season and just feeling like, man, we have so much momentum uh, nationally um, and internationally, you know, and, and we, we, we I just didn't realize it was going to be that we were going to get that much attention, uh, whether it be through the media or just through, you know, people we were able to touch kind of deeper issues in people's hearts um, throughout our campaign. And, you know, maybe it was the fact that a (laughs) long-haired worship leader (laughs) that was a millennial was running for U.S. Congress. You don't see that every day. So, uh, But we wanted to basically take that momentum and the engagement that we encountered And really, like, how do we take this to the next level and how can we steward these relationships and these connections and the open doors that we have right now in the political world? And we just felt like creating an organization that would have three distinct purposes, uh, and that's what we feel like for Hold the Line, one, registering new voters, two, educating people on the issues, and three, mobilizing for specific causes – uh, we feel like those are things that we can accomplish. We feel like those are things that we're called to. And, um, and we feel like that voices need to be raised up right now across America, you know, to stand for righteousness and to stand for, you know, the, 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 really the, the, the call of God that I believe is inherent on our nation right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like you mentioned, one of the key issues that hold the line is really focused on is engaging the church, getting them to register to vote and to vote their values. What do you think would happen in America if those two things happened, if believers registered to vote and if they voted their values?
2: Well, what was shocking to us is on the campaign, we realized that, man, like, uh, let's just take California, for example, which is you know the largest amount of electoral votes in the electoral college for the presidential election, and you know it's. I think it's a fifth of all Americans live in California, so it holds a massive weight politically. But the church, what we found out um, is that the church really is just not voting. That you know the the percentages land anywhere around twenty to thirty percent of the church is 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 actually registered and engaged to vote. And so you have a lot of people that whine about the issues that we have. Like take it, take an issue, for example, like the homeless. You know that's kind of overrun the streets in a lot of our, our of our cities. Um, and th- you know the church will whine about it. They'll get frustrated at the government and why can't you fix this? But yet they won't actually go to the polls and vote for people that have solutions to 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 fix the issue. So, I mean, really, we're we're talking about. You know, our desire is to like we want Christians to like forget even I mean, yes, voting your values and, and all that kind of stuff. But just be a good American for crying out loud, like just register to vote, like fulfill your civic duty as a citizen of this nation like so many other people do. And um, there seems to be a disconnect between wanting to see change and actually showing up at the polls to vote to bring that change. And we want to bridge that gap. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and as you mentioned, you live in California, definitely uh, one of the most far left liberal states in our nation. But you've managed to stay pretty optimistic about America's future and, you know, getting young people and getting the church motivated. How have you kind of kept up that optimism uh, in, in an area that is not very friendly towards conservative values?
2: You know, I think you have to look at first, am I called here? Uh, we feel yes. And then what is the, you know, I like to look at the history. Like, what has God done here? Like, what are, the, what are the movements that have happened throughout California? And I think, you know, I draw a lot of hope on things that have happened in the church and throughout history in, in, in this state, you know, the Golden State, and how, you know, you see these, so many amazing awakenings and revivals have taken place Throughout the history of California, you look at Azusa Street, you know that changed the landscape of the church. You look at you know the Jesus People movement and that and, and that happened as a countercultural movement to the Summer of Love and in, in, in San Francisco, and so and you look at what's happening up in in, in the north part of the state where we live, um, w- which is amazing. And so, you know, I think you got to really look at that. You got to say, okay, you know, God, what is your plan for this and we believe that you're not finished yet. We believe that your promises are irrevocable and, and you have to stand on that, but I'll tell you, it is very difficult because it's, it, the, the, the atmosphere is intense out here. It's very aggressive. Um, And it's not like, you know, and that's why it was interesting that we really felt called to run here because it's not an easy place to run. Like uh, middle of America would have been a lot easier for, the values that I hold, but yet I feel like that we were taking a stand for something significant.
1: Well, and you mentioned you're a millennial. I'm a millennial as well. And we do see within our generation that a lot of young people are just sort of disenfranchised with policy and politics. They don't really have a strong interest in it. So how do you all at Hold the Line really want to begin, just on a practical level, actually engaging young people?
2: Well, I think a lot of it starts with education. A lot of it starts with us just, you know, breaking down some of the bills, breaking down some of the agenda um, you know, uh, kind of reframing the narrative, you know, from what the media has tried to perpetuate and really helping people think for themselves. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, we're in a unique season right now with this pandemic. And one of the fortunate things about it, there's a lot of unfortunate things, but one of the fortunate things is it's actually revealing, I believe a lot of people's true colors and, you know, where do they stand on, um, on specific issues, uh, in in terms of whether it be governmental control or freedom of the people, like you can see a lot of things are being kind of laid bare in this season that we're in. And I think that we have to enlighten the minds of people to begin to think for themselves and begin to look through the issues. And that's, that, that really is our heart. Like, how can we take this political thing that a lot of people do not want to engage with because they think it's either overwhelming or they can never find the truth. And we want to build a reliable, uh, consistent uh, brand that people can trust to help bring forth the reality of what's really happening in the political world.
1: And along those lines, you have mentioned that you're interested in, in launching kind of a media component of Hold the Line do you have any updates on that or or more information that you want to share regarding that?
2: Yeah, we're really, really excited about that aspect. I think it's going to be really fun. Um, We have some, some unique uh, ideas on approaching uh, and, and kind of, uh, I don't know if it's demystifying or, or kind of like making the political world um, human making it uh, engaging. We want to, Uh, you know, be able to have people get into the minds of some of these congressmen, some of these senators, some of these lawmakers, and really kind of maybe peek behind the veil, I think would be an awesome way to approach it. Um, And so yeah, that's going to be coming this summer. We're super excited about it. It's going to be, I think something, I don't think there's anything out there that I can quite envision like what we want to capture. So stay, stay tuned, everybody, because it'll, it'll be really fun.
1: Yeah, so excited to see where that goes. Well, you know, Sean, I definitely encourage our listeners just to kind of, if they're not familiar with, with you and who you are and what you've done to to look into your journey a little bit. But, you know, I I love the fact that you have done so many kind of diverse things with your life. You've, you've traveled to some of the most dangerous places in the world to tell people about Jesus. And, you know, I think many people might think the type of, you know, that type of work of, of traveling and, uh, you know, serving the poor and the broken seems a lot more fulfilling than just trying to get Americans to vote. But why is the work of Hold the Line so critically important to you?
2: Because I think that the more that you go around the world and the more that you go into these nations and the more that you, you know, engage in unreached people groups and, and different things, the more that you realize that America has a massive effect on the lives of people around the world, on the way that economies function, on the way that laws are made. I mean, America is essentially who the world looks to still as a model of freedom, as a model of um, a a nation that is founded on Judeo-Christian biblical values. So I think that the more that I travel, the more that I realize the importance of maintaining and building upon the foundation in our nation that the forefathers pioneered. And, you know, even the name Hold the Line, you know, represents holding to the values and the principles and and, and, and fighting for families and fighting for faith and freedom and really like ensuring that, you know, that the America that I grew up in which was an incredible place still is an incredible place full of opportunity and and full of um um uh, incredible uh it's just the greatest country in the history of the world And, and my desire as i travel is that it can continue to be that as a beacon of light to the world and you see the connection the correlation of maintaining a strong Uh, a strong nation at home and how that affects the rest of the world. So for me, they kind of go hand in hand. Mm, I
1: love that. So good. Now you've always made it a really high priority to include your family in the work that you're doing, whether that's leading worship in the middle East or now your work in, in the policy and political realm. Why is that such a value to you?
2: I just feel like, I mean, it, you know, on the ministry front, I feel like, you know, too many kids have grown up being kind of sacrificed on the altar of ministry. And um, they've, I think me and my wife have always felt like our kids were supposed to be a part of the journey, you know, that they were supposed to be engaged on the adventure, you know, that they had a front row seat uh, watching us pursue the callings of God on our life. And that, um, that as they watch that, and as they engage in that, that it would be something that they they feel a part of, you know, so that they don't grow up in reaction and they don't grow up feeling like these things that we're doing are stealing their time or their attention, but they feel like that they were right involved with it. You know, we, it was fun because during the whole Congress journey, you know, my kids had, t-shirts on and they were out there with us going door to door and they were at the rallies and it was a time that they'll they'll never forget you know and they actually grew to have an immense heart for america and uh for the future of the nation and it wouldn't surprise me if someday one of them engages politically um or you know runs for office because I think now that 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 desire has been kind of sewn into their life. Of course, they don't have to, but I just think that it's interesting how uh, when we engage them, not only do they have a lot to offer, I feel like kids have so much to offer. Um, They have such an incredible perspective to teach us about the world, but I feel like it's such a benefit to them as well that they can feel like that they were a part of the things that we're called
1: to do. So good. Sean, for those listening who are thinking, I want to get involved with Hold the Line. I want to get my church on board. How can they do that?
2: Yeah. So right now we would love for you guys to join us and you can jump on um, our, you know, our social media, I think is a great place for us to connect, which is uh, you can type search for Hold the Line. You can also go on Facebook and the same thing, connect with us there, follow us there. We're starting to roll out the updates of what we're doing, what it's going to look like. And we have a newsletter. You can obviously sign up for that. Um, You can go to my website, which is uh, seanfoyt.com, S-E-A-N-F-E-U-C-H-T.com. And you can actually find out more about me, my family, but also this movement that we're launching is on there as well. And yeah, we would love to stay connected with you guys.
1: Awesome. So good. Thank you so much for your time, Sean. We really appreciate it.
2: Of course. A pleasure to be with you.
1: At The Daily Signal, we want to make sure you and your family are receiving the most accurate information about the coronavirus. Here's an important message from First Lady Melania Trump.
0: To all of our medical personnel and other frontline responders, on behalf of a grateful nation, thank you. The President and I appreciate all that you're doing to keep the people of our country healthy and safe. In the most difficult of times, the United States never fails to rise to the occasion with both unity and strength. It is because of you that the people of America are receiving the care and treatment they need. We stand united with you, and we salute your courageous and compassionate efforts. Our prayers are with all who are fighting this invisible enemy, COVID-19. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show and in our Morning Bell email newsletter. Virginia, who's up first?
1: In response to my interview last week with Rachel Gressler regarding the state of the economy and our national debt, William Siem of Windsor, Wisconsin, writes, Great interview with the representative from Heritage. I have shared the concern about the unemployment situation and the extra $600 incentivizing people to stay home ever since Congress foolishly passed that part of the stimulus. Four Republican senators immediately pointed this out and said they would pursue an amendment to correct it, but I've heard nothing since. Also, I've read a lot about our national debt over the last couple of years, and I think that our country is approaching a tipping point at which our debtors are going to start throwing up red flags before seeking to buy more of our debt by lending us money. Great questions and great answers provided. Keep up the good work.
0: And Laura left us a very nice five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, saying, This podcast gives honest insight into many national, political, and cultural issues. They interview guests who give in-depth knowledge on today's issues. I appreciate the emphasis on investigative journalism rather than opinion.
1: Your letter could be featured on next week's show, so send us an email at letters at dailysignal.com. Do conversations about the Supreme Court leave you scratching your head? If you want to understand what's happening at the court, subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a Heritage Foundation podcast breaking down the cases, personalities, and gossip at the Supreme Court.
0: Virginia, you have a good news story to share with us today. Over to you.
1: Thanks so much, Rob. Many of you have probably heard about farmers having to dump milk and other goods due to demand shifts at the grocery stores and restaurants during COVID-19. Well, when a group of college students saw that farmers had a surplus of food, but were not practically able to transport it to the places of highest need, they decided to take action. The students founded a grassroots organization called the FarmLink Project. The concept is simple. They contact the farms and ask if they will donate the surplus food to food banks in need. Then the young people rent trucks and travel to those farms to pick up the food and themselves deliver it to the food banks. The students involved represent Brown University, the University of Southern California, Dartmouth College, Sanford University, the Harvard School of Business, and Cornell University. James Canoff is the founder of FarmLink and is a sophomore at Sanford University. He explained to Fox News in an interview last week that the issue for the farmers is just getting the food from point A to point B, since the locations with the greatest need for food are sometimes hours away from the farms and even across state lines, and the farmers don't have the money to deliver the food themselves. Kanoff told Fox that financially, farmers can't afford to pack these things up and ship them off to the food banks. They're already struggling they're not going to make any money this year. They're worried about having enough money to plant next season. And he continued saying, but if we can help offset the cost associated with transport, they're more than happy to donate. All of the financial donations going to FoodLink are going right back to those farmers who are providing the food so that they can pay their workers and the truckers. If you want to learn more about FarmLink, you can visit the FarmLinkProject.org."
0: Virginia, thanks so much for sharing that story and some of the other good news stories that you've been highlighting throughout the coronavirus pandemic. It's really encouraging to see how Americans are stepping up to help others uh, doing things slightly differently, probably, than we would have in the past. But that's what we are known for, our ingenuity and, uh, and innovating when the time is necessary. So we appreciate that for sure.
1: Of course. No, it certainly is great to see that ingenuity. It's very encouraging.
0: It certainly is. Well, we're going to leave it there for today. The Daily Signal podcast can be found on the Ricochet Audio Network, and all of our shows can be found at dailysignal.com slash podcasts.
1: You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And be sure to listen every weekday by adding the Daily Signal podcast as part of your Alexa flash briefing.
0: If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners.
1: Be sure to follow us on Twitter at @dailysignal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News.
0: Have a great week and be safe.
1: The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Rob Bluey and Virginia Allen. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Thalia Rampersad, Mark Guiney, and John Pop.